Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, just a quick thank you to our supporting partners, Magura and Kotic Bikes, and we've also got a really great competition for you. Magura make the best brakes out there, and we have three sets to give away. I've been running the Magura MT7 Pro Brakes for around a year and a half, and they're now my go-to brake. I love the amount of power available and the way that that power is so controllable too. They're also super easy to service and are the only brake I've ever owned that I've been able to keep working as well as the day they arrived. Also unique to Magura is the ability to customise the brake to make it just how you want it, from both an aesthetic, ergonomics and performance point of view. The change that I make from the stock product is to fit the HC wide reach levers. These feel great and enable me to get the brakes set up just how I like them. It's worth mentioning that these were designed for Loic Bruni, who is your reigning downhill world champion, and the MT7 Pro is his brake of choice. So if it's good enough for Loic, it's definitely good enough for me. So if you're looking for the best brakes, then look no further than the Magura MT7 Pro. You can check them out over at magura.com. Magura have been kind enough to give us three sets of the awesome MT7 Pro brakes to give away. So to be in with a chance of winning some, all you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey and fill in this year's listener survey. It's super simple to do. It will only take a couple of minutes. It's a massive help to me to find out more about you lovely lot too. So head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey and we'll be choosing a winner of three sets of Magura MT7 Pro brakes at random on Thursday the 8th of June. Cy Turner's dream bike didn't exist, so he went out and made it, which is why Kotic Bikes began. They design and build their dream bikes and make them available so that you too can have your dream build. When Cy moved to the Peak District, the terrain that Cy was riding changed, and as a result, so did his dream bike. So the Rocket Max was born, a UK-made steel-framed enduro chassis that exudes confidence, letting you know that it's got your back. The Rocket Max was a dream bike for me too, and I've been lucky enough to be riding one since 2020. The steel frame has a level of compliance that enables the bike to breathe with the terrain, meaning that it sticks to rough off-camber sections like nothing else I've ever ridden. At speed, the long shot geometry brings a stability that breeds confidence, yet the bike still retains a fun personality that means that you don't have to be going at warp speed to put a smile on your face. To ensure you're really getting your dream bike, Kotick not only have multiple complete bike build options, but they will also let you choose any components that you want for your dream build. Kotick now have a brand new showroom in Chesterfield in the UK where you can see the bikes and meet the people who design and build them. And you can also arrange for a factory collection where one of the team will set the bike up for you and your riding style. Add to that regular owners rides and events and a company ethos that strives to operate in a low impact way when it comes to the environment and gives back a good chunk of their time and profit to the riding community. If that all sounds like your dream, then you can check them out over at kotic.co.uk. We've also got a recent podcast episode with Cy where you can hear loads more about Kotic and the Rocket Max by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash kotic dash rocket max. If you're enjoying the podcast, then there's a few things you can do. First and foremost, share the podcast. Maybe that's telling your friends about the show, recommending a specific episode to them that you think they're going to like, or sharing the episodes on your social media. Secondly, if you've got some value from the podcast, maybe you've learned something that's helped you riding or your fitness, maybe it's got you stoked to go riding or to come back from an injury, or maybe it's just a little something to pass the time when you can't be riding your bike, then why not do a little something in return by setting up a small regular donation via my Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Even the price of a coffee per month really helps me keep this podcast going. Big thank you to our new patrons who signed up this week. That's Chris Bewley, Kevin Caldwell and Ivor Sunday. Also, if you want to represent the podcast, then you can get downtime t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. 
If you want a little bit more downtime in your life, then you can join my newsletter. That's downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Otherwise, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the button in your podcast app or there's buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. All the links for all of this are in the show notes for this episode on downtimepodcast.com. You can, of course, listen to today's episode right here, or if you'd prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at Downtime Podcast. I'll also stick a link to the video in the show notes over on the website, downtimepodcast.com. All right, I think it's fair to say that a lot of us would like to perform better on the bike. However, how many of us have looked at how our mental health links with our performance? Well, this week I'm joined by Sarah Broadhead, who's written a book on the subject. Sarah is an experienced sports psychologist who has worked with Olympic athletes, as well as supporting riders like Matt Walker, Ella Connolly, Greg Williamson and Hattie Harnden. We chat about how good mental health can support performance. How can we use this to improve our ability to get into a flow state? And how do our relationships impact on our riding and what can we do to improve them? There's heaps to learn here and to apply to your own riding. So without further ado, here's Sarah Broadhead. Sarah Broadhead, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you today? Really good, thanks. Yeah, good. Thanks for inviting me. Really excited. No, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, we're obviously going to get pretty deeply stuck into some sports psychology stuff. Um, but before we do that, first and foremost, you're a bike rider. Just tell us a little bit about your background in mountain biking, like how you got into it and what sort of path you followed. Yeah, so I first started, so I went to Manchester University. Um, I had a friend that was into mountain biking. This was like late 90s. So my first mountain bike was a GT Tequesta. So it's fully rigid um, mountain bike. And we'd go off into the peaks and, yeah, I just loved it. Um, and then kind of had a bit of a break from it, did other like random sports and then kind of came back to it maybe 10 years later. And obviously bikes had changed quite a lot by then. So, yeah, um, but yeah, love riding. Fantastic. And is racing something that you take part in on occasion? I do, yeah. It's more of a, a social thing. Uh, but yeah, I have I have done um, so I've done Steve Pete's downhill because I live in Sheffield, so that was really handy. Um, done twenty four hour race um, mountain mayhem in a pair that I would never do that again. But <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> it was it was a good experience, but yeah, yeah, not a lot of sleep happened. <laughs> Fantastic! And then what about from the education side of things? Like how do you, how have you worked your way into that sports psychology field? So it's a, not really a traditional way. Uh, so I started off as a business psychologist, uh, but I've always really loved sport, really interested in it. And just after Beijing Olympics, lots of people were talking about this um, psychiatrist they worked with called Steve Peters and a lot of the cyclists like Chris Hoy, Vicky Pendleton. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do that job. That sounds the perfect job. And I had a friend that worked at British Cycling in logistics. And I said, can you please get me... Uh, you know an email address for Steve I'll um I'll just ask him how he got into it and what I need to do so um I ended up emailing him he said oh let's meet in McDonald's at Sports City if you've ever been around that area around the velodrome um so had a coffee with him and he's like oh um I've got a job for you at, at the taekwondo team so Great Britain taekwondo were based just around the corner and I was like I've never worked in sport I don't know anything about it and he's like I'll supervise you it'll be fine so I I got given a month's trial there um and then 10 years later i was still there so amazing and you you were involved so steve peters wrote uh chimp paradox which i think maybe quite a few listeners will have yeah. heard of or maybe read like it comes up 
quite often I think in talking with people associated with the performance aspect of things very good book if you haven't already read it worth worth a go um you ended up working with him on like the chimp is it chimp management there was like a business off the back of the book yeah that's yeah so um so initially he was supervising me and a a few others and we'd pop over to the velodrome and say oh can we chat about this thing or he'd, he'd just teach us things and then just after 2012 Olympics, he said, oh, um, shall we set up a company? So he set up chimp management. There was a, a group of us that did that with him and worked in a few different sports and um, a few different businesses. And, yeah, it was it was great because you got access to Steve on a, a regular basis. And, yeah, I just tried to get all the knowledge I could from him. It was it was really good. Yeah, amazing. And you've been to a couple of Olympics then with various different disciplines, right? Yeah. Yeah, so London Olympics, amazing. Like, I don't know if you went down, but the atmosphere was brilliant. And we were staying in the village and we got to walk out um, with all the athletes in the opening and closing ceremony. So, yeah, I mean, that was the highlight of my career and then went to Rio as well. But, yeah, just I think just um, being able to be part of a team and help people in the, that kind of pressured environment where your your whole career is based on your performance every four years. I think, you know, you don't get much more pressure than that, do you? <laughs> For sure. So how did you find your way into working with some mountain bike athletes then? Because you've got quite a roster now. I have, yeah, yeah. Um, so I met Phil Dixon, who, um, as I think you you know, and some of your the people on the podcast have talked about him. So he works with um, cross-country riders and, and downhill riders. So um, we'd quite often go over to the velodrome for our lunch, the Taekwondo team, and I just got chatting to Phil and he sorted me out with a a bike and just kind of got to know him then. So I've probably known him for over 10 years now. Um, So, yeah, just just through that, really, and get on really well with Phil and I think he works in a really great way with his, his riders and he sees them as a whole person, which I really like. Yeah, definitely. So, you've, yeah, are you able to say like some of the names that you work with now in the mountain bike world? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, Matt Walker, and I think he's he's mentioned um, what we've been doing a little bit on on the podcast that he did with you, which is great. Um, Greg Williamson, um, Annie Last from the the cross country side, Cannondale guys on the cross country side, um, Ella Connolly, Hattie. Um, so yeah, the, basically anyone that that Phil supports, I will at least have spoken to once, and then some of them I work with in a lot more depth than that. Yeah, oh, that's cool. You cross over all the all the disciplines too. And you've recently released a book which I've read. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for sending that over. Um, Perform and Thrive: oh, A Sports Person's no Guide worries. to Mental Health and Wellbeing. And I, it seems strange to say this, but I think it's the first sort of performance based book that I've seen that puts performance together alongside mental health, which seems like a massive gap it seems really obvious when you say it but like most books don't directly yeah. touch on it so i think it'd be interesting to get into that men- sort of mental health piece a bit maybe it's worth you like defining how you see mental health what does it mean to you to be mentally healthy yeah i mean that that was one of the the things i really was keen to explore in the book and i was really lucky that i got to interview lots of different athletes as part of the book and um, one of them was Katie Winton, who also listened to your podcast recently, which is great. Um, and she, I'll, I'll describe her what she said, and because I, I think it's it's a nice one. Um, so she said, having the capacity to do what I want to do, to be able to speak to friends, feel happy, do something nice, and not feel bad about it, smile a bit more. So 
I think it's important that you come up with your own definition of what it means to be mentally healthy. And often it is that being able to feel happy, being able to do things that you want to do, being able to live life the way you want to. Um, but yeah, coming up with your own definition, I think is really important. And I think not feeling that you should be happy all the time. So to be mentally healthy is to experience a whole range of emotions. You, you're going to feel sad sometimes. You're going to feel a bit down. You're gonna, you know, it's that normal fluctuation. If if you're experiencing those things for long periods of time and your normal ways of coping aren't working, that's when you might think, oh, that's, that's not great. But we shouldn't expect to feel happy all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Fair comment for sure. I think a lot of people kind of miss that and, and think maybe there's something wrong because they're a bit down. But I guess it's more about noticing that feeling and being able to work with it than it is not having that feeling in the first place right exactly yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and what so what factors go into mental health then can you break it down into sort of specific um areas that maybe we can then look at taking some level of control over yeah yeah so that that's what um i kind of split the book into to different sections based on each each factor so if you think of it like a, a jigsaw puzzle like all the things that that might influence your mental health on a given day. So quite a big influence is our, our past life experiences. So how how we've um, experienced life in the past, how we see the world, that has a big difference. So you can think of that as personality, you can think of that as a combination of your nature and your nurture, but that that is a big factor, um, your, your life experiences. So when I start working with someone, I really like to understand their life journey and, and where they've come from and what experiences they've had because that will be a big part of the jigsaw like mm. understanding that but i guess also something that we have no control over right that 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 lived experience no, you can't... to a certain extent particularly yeah. when you're young no yeah yeah but understanding that and making sense of it is is really helpful mm -hmm. also the environment that you're in so some people um, really thrive in some environments, other people don't. So your mental health can be really affected. And I think Katie talked about it, I think other people have talked about it, like the team that you're in can make you thrive and flourish or you can really, really struggle. Um, so having the, the right people around you, um, feeling comfortable, feeling supported, feeling safe is, is massive as well. Um, and that kind of leads on to the relationship bit as well. Like we're, we're social beings like, if we if we having relationship issues or we're struggling in that department, that can really affect how you feel about yourself and, and your mental health. Um, and then finally, like how much how you're looking after your yourself, your body, you're getting enough sleep, are you getting enough recovery? Um, they're all all bits of the jigsaw, I think. Yeah. So where where when you start a relationship with a with an athlete, or with doesn't have to be an athlete, I guess, with a person, um, where do you start? Like how if you're going to help someone through that process and help them understand themselves more i guess and work out what the right elements of the recipe are for their own mental health where where do you begin and how do you work through that so it is it is that life story really so i would often say you know tell me about your life like where, how did you get into riding um what did you you know why did you get into it what does it mean to you um talk me through like your experiences with it um what what was it like when you were at school um what are your relationships like so you're just trying to get a bit of a, a picture of that person's life so um yeah 
tell me your life story is you know is a good a good opener and then then it, you start to see themes that come out and you start to understand how they see the world um, what beliefs have they got um what meaning do they make of things so all of those things are, are helpful to understand yeah I, is a big part of that understanding why you ride bikes in the first place yeah yeah definitely and but for most people we ride bikes because we enjoy it and you love it and often when people are struggling mentally or performance wise it's because they've lost a bit of that enjoyment um i know a lot of people on your podcast have talked about that um where they've they've lost that enjoyment and it's all become about winning and then actually you're less likely to win because you stopped enjoying it yeah and i guess it's not just we talk often in a in a race context I, i guess that doesn't have to apply for races right you can lose the joy of riding through other factors other than just not performing at a race yeah definitely so if you're having um like we said either relationship problems work issues it, it can affect your your feelings about being on the bike or if you were struggling for time um so yeah there can be lots of reasons why you might fall out of of love with biking and i probably experienced that myself a bit like i just i don't know i just went in a different direction and i forgot about bikes for a bit and then i came back to it and like oh why have i not done this for so long and yeah and there's there is a a pressure i guess when you ride certainly if you ride in a group like or with different people there's always that like expectation you have of yourself and your own ability and how you perceive that matching yeah. to your performance on that day so maybe you're not in a race environment but there is still a like expectation yeah. and a performance mm-hmm. and they don't yeah they and don't say you've, you've had an injury or exactly yeah you might have had an injury or for for some reason like you know you had a bad experience on a a jump or a drop and then you think oh then you start to worry about doing it next time and then you think oh I don't know if I want to go on that ride because they're probably going to do that feature and I don't feel comfortable on it and so yeah there there could be lots of reasons is that is that a good example to try and work through like let's say you've had a an issue on a ride a crash on a particular section that you're now I guess fear is the right word you are fearful of you're anxious about like are there are there techniques that you would work through with people to help process that rationalize whatever it happens to be and then get back and 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 execute I suppose on that on that particular feature yeah I think that's a good one to work through um I think starting off by helping people understand how their their brain works and, and why they're experiencing that fear so massive part of why um well, part of what our brain does is is to keep us alive that's survival um matt talked about it so this is what we we did when he had had his crash and he was like i'm really struggling i don't know what's going on so the first step was helping him understand wh- how his brain worked and, and that this part is is there to to protect you physically um keep you alive help you survive um but also for you to be accepted in a, a social group. So if you think about it, you're not going to survive. Um, well, you wouldn't have survived when the days when we lived in caves. If you were on your own, you'd be really, really vulnerable. So we needed to care what other people think of us. We need to feel accepted. We need to feel that people think we're good at things. So those two factors, um, our brain is constantly looking out for for that threat. So when you have a crash or something doesn't go well or um, you don't feel like you're riding how you want to. Th- that's the threat part that that's active, that that's dominant. 
Um, so it's trying to be helpful. So it's saying, oh, you need to be careful next time. You know, it, it's do it's trying to do a good job, but it, it often then paralyzes us because we think, well, it stops you doing it at all. So if we understand that, we 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 can try and reassure it. Um, but then also we need to then get the fun back and the enjoyment. So you can't, if you're enjoying something, you're not seeing it as a threat. You're seeing it as a, a challenge and it's yeah. enjo- enjoyable. Um, and I, I like when um, on Miriam's podcast, she she talked about that, like getting the enjoyment back. Um, and and that, that's it, doing it gradually. So if you, if it was on a, a drop, you start off with a, a small drop and then you build up. Like that's exactly what, what she described. And um, what you're trying to do is shift the balance back to enjoyment rather than fear. Um, and, and again, that, that's exactly what Matt did. Like it's, it's saying my brain's trying to be helpful, but I can reassure my brain and say, this is okay. We know what we're doing. Um, focus on a few little process things. Um, do it gradually. Like don't go straight into a big drop. Do a, a smaller drop um, until you your experience tells you actually this is all right it's okay and you switch back to enjoying it more than the threat part if that makes sense yeah it does i guess that can be tricky though right say it's like a regular ride that you do with your group of mates or whatever and you know that like you can't you almost can't build back up because you haven't that ride it happens every week kind of thing that you know you've got to in theory go and tackle that straight away after the injury are there yeah. Are there ways to to deal with it in that context? Because it's I, I get the whole process of building up slowly, yeah, but so it's maybe think, not there. Um, yeah, part of it is like we said that what other people think of us. So, and actually, in reality, like if you said to your mates, "Look, you know, I had a, a crash on this, or I'm not feeling quite so confident on this," you know, if they they're good mates, they'll they'll understand and just say, "Look, I'm going to build my way back up to it. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it, but." maybe just not on this first ride back, I'm going to go off and do this other one. And then maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll build up to it. And people are fine, but we just feel a bit of, I think, shame, embarrassment, oh, you know. But actually, people are pretty understanding because most people have been there themselves. Like I think anyone that rides, you've had moments where you doubt yourself or, you you know, something you normally ride feels really hard to ride. So I think we all get it, um, but we just feel a bit of, shame to admit it but i think yeah it's it's fine yeah and i guess like historically maybe those conversations weren't commonplace in riding groups like i think Mm. of a certain age anyway we're all of this generation of like oh toughen up get over it just just get on (laughs) kind of thing that don't you know you don't talk about or share your feelings do you think that's starting to change a bit are you (laughs) seeing more of that in in riding groups and in athletes that you speak with are people more open yeah definitely and i think the ones that um that are able to do that have have better mental health and better performance so again matt's a really good example of that like he's we've got a little um whatsapp group so his his team and he's really open on that like he'll say oh i struggled today or this is how i'm feeling and he's got quite um comfortable with it because he knows that he can trust this group and um no one's going to judge him and it's fine so i think if you find the right people that that have got your back and you can trust then it, it's a lot easier but yeah i do think people are getting better at doing it and i would definitely think it's a a good thing to do mm. um because as soon as you say something out loud um it's easier to deal with like when it's just in your own head 
it's got a lot more power. Um, as soon as you either write it down, say it out loud, it just becomes 10 times easier to deal with. Yeah. What And what about this sort of thing in a more race like performance context as I think there's a lot of people out there that are incredible bike riders and would maybe like to race, but have found that when they do, they can't put that performance yeah. that they're capable of onto the racetrack. Maybe they can do it all weekend until the time run and then things fall yeah. apart. Like there, is there advice in those areas of how to deal with some of that, like, I guess, performance anxiety and, and issues that come in when the beats start? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a common thing that, that people say. And again, if we go back to trying to understand how the brain works. So if you think about if you've done something lots and lots of times, like say you've ridden from a young age or um, like you just you can ride with your mates and you don't even have to think about it. It's it's automatic. So there's a part of our brain um, like Steve calls it the computer, but it's that automatic part. Um, it could be automatic behaviors, automatic beliefs, but it, it's very quick it's kind of unconscious um and if i if i ask people like oh you know what was your best run like what were you thinking about they're like not a whole lot you know i might have had a few focus points but you know i was just thinking about flow or i was thinking about that point but then what happens when there's a consequence there's an outcome um that threat part starts to get active um because there's a consequence and when that part takes over it almost doesn't let the automatic part work. So it's like you're using a different part of your brain. Um, it's like, and then you might start overthinking it. You might be thinking more consciously. You might think, I need to try harder. So if you've ever tried to try harder at going fast, it often has the opposite effect. Yeah. So <laughs> I definitely recognise that. Um, so what, what we want people to do is get into that automatic mode and deal with so deal with the worries deal with the fears but then switch into right I'm not gonna I'm just gonna think of a few little things um so it might be like heels down it might be look look ahead it might you know really simple um uncomplicated things but that keep you in that flow state um Lucas Shaw talked about it when he started thinking too much about the outcome and winning and wanting to win he wasn't thinking about the process so we really need to, to help people focus back on that um enjoying it finding flow um all of that kind of stuff um so it's accepting that of course you want to win of course you want to do well but if we focus on that we're not in the automatic part of the brain we're not going to be able to go as quickly we're not going to be able to make decisions as quickly yeah are there techniques to get into i mean it's this flow state it's what everyone's kind of chasing because not only is it effective yeah. from a performance yeah. perspective but it feels good we like being in flow state when you find that flow state good. task mm -hmm. in your work and yeah. time just flies you're enjoying what you're doing similar yeah. thing right when you're on your bike and you're in flow it's the best feeling on the planet but i think yeah, for pretty is. much yeah. everyone it's a rare place to get to any any advice on like spending more time there yeah i think um often it, it it's because we haven't addressed the, those fears those worries those threats um so it's really hard to get into that flow when when we've got all that going around our head so that's why as i was saying before being able to acknowledge those things and saying actually yeah this is really important to me or i'm worried about this thing um and being able to either write it down, talk it through with someone, 
it enables it to have less power. So then you're more likely to be able to get into that automatic state. So dealing with um, expectation from yourself, from others, dealing with I have to win this or all of those things, if we don't deal with them, they're the things that stop us getting into flow. I guess, Um, And they're the things that... You know, sometimes athletes will say, oh, I don't want to say those things because it's like admitting it. It's like, I, you know, I just want to be positive all the time and, and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling great and it's all going to be great. But if those thoughts are in your head, they, they need to be dealt with. Uh, OK, let's can we pick a like a familiar thought that you hear athletes talk about maybe more regularly and then look at in that context what? What might we do? How might we deal with that thing? Because it's step one feels like to be open about it and to to express it. But then where do you go from there? Can, can we pick a, a repeating theme from athletes? Yeah, um, let's think. So it could be a particular feature um, on a on a track. Uh-huh. Um, so that there's yeah, there's a particular thing that that they're worried about, or they're not sure if they can ride, or um, and it takes up a lot of mental energy that they, they might be worried about it um so yeah but we, we get them to say what what are their worries um try and break that down and then say would you ride this if you were just yeah here with your mates would you would you do that and if they were like yeah yeah that'd be fine I'll, I'll do it then that's that's good and then we can use that as a bit of a reassurance say okay if you're going to do it what would you think about well actually i'd probably you know i'd follow someone in um gauge the speed and then next time we'll be fine um if they were saying oh, actually no I, I wouldn't do it and I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm, I'm quite ready for it you know even if I was in a really relaxed place then you think okay then it, this is not the the time to do it um what about uh like the the pressure side the external pressure that athletes face because there's that internal drive right yeah. well I've, I want to hit that feature that's going to save me two seconds or whatever it happens to be but then there's that external pressure of you yeah. know media attention sponsors being there you know they're, they're earning money some of them for doing this um, yeah. there's all of that external stuff social media uh, do you see a lot of examples of that and is that increasing actually as social media and, and that side of things becomes more important yeah yeah I think um, it, it is increasing um, yeah I think there's all of those things that, that can combine um, all, all of those things you've just described and like we said, acknowledging it is important, but it's saying that even if even if this was life and death, even if like say you you did this, you had to win, otherwise you know you were going to die. This is this is like life and death situation. What what is going to give you the best chance of of riding well? What's going to give you the best chance of having the best run you can? And then shifting the focus back to that. So almost accepting all of those things might exist but it's whether we choose to focus on them or not, um, whether we give them energy or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why having good people around you that, that can pull you back. So, so like Phil's really good, Will um, as well, like uh, Matt's manager, like good at saying, well, there's all this stuff going on, but let's just focus on uh, race day plan, like focus back on things that you could control. Yeah. Um, you can control when you have your breakfast, when you do your warm up. Um Matt talks about visualizing as well. Like you can picture yourself in the start gate and imagine all of the noise, everything going on, but imagine that you're going to calm yourself down, focus on your breathing, have your focus points for the track. Like you can 
do all of this stuff. That's all in your control. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what we try and do is, is say there might be all this noise, all these consequences, but we're going to choose to focus on the things that we can do something about. Yeah. And is that, you know, the engagement of this focus and process stuff, is that race day? Is it race week or is it every day? Like when does this start and finish? <laughs> yeah, I think it... it it's, it's every day really, isn't it? I think um, you, you need more focus on, on race days. But if you don't practice these skills away from the race, you can't expect to rock up at a race and then suddenly be able to to focus. You've you've got to practice these skills. The same like that's why visualising is good. Like you can put yourself in that race environment, even if it's some, you know weeks away and your body is getting used to that adrenaline. It's getting used to calming yourself down. It's it, it's something you have to do way before the race day yeah it's quite amazing like i if i think about riding my heart rate goes up not through fear or anything it's just yeah like it's almost like yeah. i am riding a bike like i can sit with a heart rate monitor on and it, it will change as soon as i think whether it's positive or negatively about riding yeah and it's it's getting used to that adrenaline and labeling it as adrenaline so what a lot of people do is you get to a, a race day or like you said a, a feature that you know you not might not be quite so sure about and you get this adrenaline it's your body's way of getting ready so you might have you know faster breathing higher heart rate sweaty palms but we can label that as a positive like it's only when we go oh that must mean i'm nervous and something bad is going to happen that it becomes problematic so we help um riders to see that as a, a good thing it's your body getting ready you're going to be able to make quicker decisions you're going to be um, better able to focus whereas if you think oh this is horrible I don't like it um, that's when it becomes an issue and that makes so much sense when you say it and it feels like a really simple thing well let's just change that thing that you currently perceive as negative into perceiving it as a positive but the reality of yeah. doing that is much harder like how do you get from oh, yeah. let's take adrenaline Definitely. as an example how do you get from adrenaline <laughs> freaks me out and I feel like something bad's going to happen to oh, this is good, I'm getting like amped up to do something special. It's Yeah, it's, it's practice. So like we said, you could sit sit in your chair where, somewhere where you're comfortable at home and imagine being at a race day and you'll get some adrenaline so you get a bit more used to it doing it that way. Um, and then it, it's just practice. It's getting used to that feeling. And um, again, like we said, having people around you that can say the same message as well. So it's harder sometimes to, to think that way when you're in that situation. But if you've got someone around you that you trust that's saying, how are you feeling? You're like, oh, I've got all these these sensations. They can say, oh, it's okay, it's your adrenaline. So you can use other people as well and, and you can talk about it together. Like I think sometimes if you see a group of people at a race and they're always like, yeah, I'm feeling a bit, oh, God, I'm really scared. And, like, and it, it kind of fuels amongst the group, yeah. doesn't it? And then everyone's like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, so you almost need to prime your group of people with how they deal with your emotions yeah. in a way. Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 sometimes I'll say to to riders like write down what you want people around you to say because often we just leave it to chance. But you could just say, I find it really helpful when you say this. I don't find it as helpful when you say that. But say it like well before the race, and it just makes everyone's life easier because you you're ready for it, and you know you're not going to say something that makes them feel even more stressed or yeah do you tend to use mantras with riders is that something that features 
Um, some some riders do. Um, yeah, it, it can help. Yeah, it can be a helpful thing. Yeah. What about? Yeah, I can't think of a specific one right now, but. Um, yeah. What about meditation? Because I think I've sort of misunderstood meditation for years, but I think more so it feels like it's a way of um, noticing thoughts, noticing what your, how your brain is interpreting things and then having a conscious decision as to what you do about it rather than the thoughts just taking over and kind of running riot. Is, is meditation a tool that you see as valuable to, to, I guess, to riders and athletes, but also to people in general? Yeah, it, it can be. Uh, I think, like you said, it's it's another tool that you could could draw on. Some people find it really helpful, some people don't. But um, it, it's the ability to manage your mind, isn't it? And to say, in this situation, I'm able to get into the state that I want to get into and not be pulled left and right by your thoughts. So if you have the ability to say, oh, I've got this thought, doesn't mean that I have to go with it. I just recognise that I've got it. Or... Um, you could have the mind, mindfulness where you're practicing being present in the moment. So that that's really helpful when you're you're feeling anxious about something because anxiety is getting caught up in what might happen in the future. Whereas if you can bring yourself back to the present, um, that's really helpful. It's also really helpful in relationships because often we're with the person, but we're not actually mentally with them. And the quality of relationships will go up if you are you are really engaging with that person. So you often see people that are worried or stressed. They, they, they're they in their own head or they're thinking about the future. Um, so if, if we can help people develop that skill of being present in the moment, that, that's amazing. Yeah. So is, is meditation like the number one tool that you would use for helping people live in the moment or is there other stuff around that as well? Uh, that's probably, yeah, it's it's a, a, good, a good way to do it. But I wouldn't even, I don't even call it, I just call it being present. I just say, can we practice being present um and then when you f- feel your mind wandering can you notice that and then can you bring it back um and can you really listen so if you're with someone else can you really really listen to what they're saying um and can you yeah ask really good questions can you be fully engaged with them and yeah it, it really really helps your quality of relationships yeah which is super important right every Every person on the planet has relationships, whether they feel that way or not. It doesn't have to be a partner. It can be your riding buddies, your housemates, your teammates. Yeah. And you see so much the the fit of a rider into a team really has an impact on their yeah. performance, I think. There aren't many riders that don't click with the team but still perform yeah. well. Yeah, 100%. I've seen that so many times. Yeah, it's it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have advice for people who want to improve the quality of the relationships that they sit within whether that is their partner the team that they're part of their riding group are there certain things you can do to help push the whole team forwards in the way that they work together i think that the first thing is back to that understanding yourself like what and again that will be probably linked to our upbringing and um, our life experiences so some people um, need to be around people a lot or they need to feel a lot of, um, to have a lot of reassurance. Other people are a bit more independent. Um, so just understanding your, in the book, I call it attachment style. So what's your attachment style? So if you know that 
you need um, a lot of reassurance from your coach or from your team, um, then you can help them to understand that. Like you can say, actually, I, I just need to know that things are okay in our relationship and I want to know what you're thinking and feeling, whereas other people like, just don't need that at all and they need more time by themselves or um, they don't open up as much. So understanding your own relationship style first I think is helpful and then you can see how that links in with those people around you because um, you might have a, a, a team manager that um, yeah they're quite independent so they they don't naturally engage as much or you might have one that is really really expressive and open and supportive so knowing your what you need I think is a big help yeah so the first I get the first port of call is understanding yourself it feels like the second step is the willingness to be vulnerable in front of those people that are around you, right? You've got to be able to say, this is how I feel. This is what I need. Yeah. And that's not always easy, right? Like to, I think that's um, it's like a big step forward in a, in a group's no. functionality is when everyone's willing to be vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. It can, it can feel scary, but it, it brings you closer together. So that's that thing with, with that human connection that like you have to be, we don't have to be, but it's, it's helpful to be a bit vulnerable. That's what builds the deeper connections. And like I said, some people find that easier than others. Like if you've not experienced that growing up in your family or in the people that you've been around, then it's going to be harder to do when you're an adult. Um, so yeah, I think understanding, understanding your life story, understanding your experiences and your, your view of relationships and then, yeah, some people need a bit more support with that than others to to open up or be vulnerable. Or um. yeah, definitely. And then I guess underpinning all of this, like to be as good as you can be, even if all of these things are in place and really well. Riders are naturally active people, especially athletes. Something that can often get missed is that recovery and rest side of things, which is. Yeah. fundamental to yeah. you know to being a good performing individual on a regular basis can we talk a little bit about that be keen to hear your thoughts on it yeah it's um so again like going back to the beliefs like what what are someone's beliefs around this so if you think more is better then you're going to find it really hard to, to take a rest day or if you think my competitor's going to be training i need to be training harder and um it, yeah it can make them feel quite anxious to have a rest day um so we've got to look at those sorts of beliefs and, and say, well, if we're if you're not balancing it out, like if you're if you're always in that um, kind of go state and you never balance it back out, then you're not recovering. You're not going to. It's not going to be sustainable, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that in some athletes, they they just don't have long term careers because they've almost just burnt out too soon. They've been so full on. Um, without properly recovering that it just wasn't sustainable yeah are there ways to understand how you're recovering because it's something that I think can be very kind of hard to grasp like where you're at on that spectrum yeah and start starting to understand your own body and and your energy level so this Phil is really good at this at talking to engaging the, the rider's energy so he, he'll adapt things and, um, yeah, pull the handbrake, push on a bit more depending on someone's energy level. So just because you've got a training plan that says you have to do X tomorrow, if you're mentally or physically not there, it's not the right thing to do. So 
being able to gauge that, um, listen to your body. And some people like to do that on heart rate or heart rate variability or more those sorts of measures. Or actually, if, if you can get good at, at understanding your own body without those things, that's also helpful. Like trusting that you can feel if you're if you're tired if you're is it mental tiredness is it physical tiredness is it a bit of both is it I've got so much going on in my life that actually if I rode today it just wouldn't be helpful yeah and I guess it's hard to separate that like kind of um fatigue be that mental physical whatever from just a lack of motivation like you could easily find a good yeah. excuse not to yeah. train if you don't want to train I, I guess it's uh, yeah, yeah hard to separate those two sometimes yeah and I think amongst say um with your coach coach and a rider knowing each other is really important so there'll be some people that naturally need a bit of pushing so they're a bit like oh I can't really be bothered today and you know that actually they might need a bit of pushing on a bit and then you've got some people that you know even if their leg was hanging off, they're going to be on the bike. So they're the ones you need to hold back. So knowing knowing yourself, knowing you, the rider is really important because you, you're going to be somewhere on that spectrum. But yeah, I normally know, well, this is someone that, that you know, they're, they're always going to want to do more, even if they're, they're going to probably say, oh, I feel fine when you can just see on their face that they're not. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, that's the lucky few, I guess, in a way that have that one-to-one relationship with a coach, which obviously costs money. But there's, yeah. you know, thousands of riders yeah. out there around the world, weekend races, or even just people that want to be relatively fit for their riding, that maybe they have an online plan yeah. or whatever. Like, is there any yeah. advice to people in that side of things as to like what to look out for, what might be good um, yeah. evidence to say, maybe I should back off a little bit here or step it up even? Yeah, Um yeah, keeping a bit of a, a diary, I think, is is good. Um, so it doesn't have to be really detailed, but but just so you can and things like you know your, your sleep. We don't want to over analyze stuff, but just to get a bit of a gauge of um, you know how how refreshed do I feel, or um, you know what demands have I got on today, or um, yeah, or just just to start to get a picture and an understanding. So. Like for me, um, I'm probably on the side of I need, you know, I'm naturally someone that might think, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered to go to the gym today. So I know that I've got to work a bit more with with commitment. So I will say to myself, it doesn't matter if you don't feel like going, like you you just got to go. Um, And then when I go, I'll feel better and I know that I've done it. So I know that about myself. um, And I also know I've got better at knowing when I really am genuinely physically tired Mm -hmm. um, from work or travel. And I think, actually, I really shouldn't go today. So I've got better at that. But I know that I I are on the side of probably need to give myself a kick to get out of the door. Um, And also for like female riders as well, like tracking your menstrual cycle, I think, is really helpful. Because for some people, it, it doesn't make any difference to the whole of the, the cycle. But for some people, like right before the week before, you might always struggle, have low energy um, and just say, actually, that is not the time to be going and smashing out the weight. So I'll do that the week after when I have energy. So just tracking things like that, like your menstrual cycle, your sleep, your energy levels, what you've eaten, like just doing it for a couple of weeks. So you get a good idea of mm-hmm. what's going on. 
Yeah. You mentioned the menstrual cycle side of things. Is there advice for female yeah. athletes that obviously when you're competing, like the races are a schedule you can't control and you can't really, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's the pill and things, but like how can you think about training and racing and how it overlaps with the menstrual cycle? Are there any things you can do there to help yourself? It is um, a real challenge. I've I've worked with with athletes that you know it, it happens that it's it's the week of the Olympics and you you just think well you, know, you, you can't change the the date of your race you can't change the date of the Olympics um, and for some people like so they don't want to go on the, the pill or the, those sorts of things so um, again having that awareness and knowing this is what helps me in that week so I know that even though I've got this competition coming up. I, I just need a bit more sleep or I, I need to eat certain things or um, just having that awareness, I think, can help. And and also knowing that it might not feel great, but I can get through it because I've got through it last time. And you can adapt your, your training, but when it comes to a race, you're just going to have to manage it the best you can. And those people around you that you trust, they know as well and they can support you. Um, but, yeah, it, it can be a, a challenge. Yeah, it feels like that the underlying theme of pretty much everything here is like a self-awareness, like understanding yeah. how you yeah. operate, what your energy cycles are, who you are as a human yeah. is like fundamentally underpinning pretty much everything we've touched on. Absolutely, yes, yeah, spot on. And for some people that's more natural than others and that's why I think trying to capture some notes, some thoughts is great. So even if you said like just for a week, I'm just going to capture the thoughts in my head. Like some of us are not always aware of of what's going around in our heads. And by writing it down, you're like, oh, actually, there's a theme coming out here. Like I'm always worrying about this thing or um, I must have this belief because this is always coming out. And once you're aware of it, you, you can start to tackle it or look at different ways of thinking but yeah that awareness is definitely the first step Um, and that is not always easy like people don't always want to go there (laughs) I completely get that Um, but yeah if if you can I think it's a good place to start yeah if so if if someone wanted to build their self-awareness are there as in there Mm -hmm. is with kind of coaches right there's a sliding scale you can buy like an online plan that lasts for six weeks or you can spend a bit more money and get a monthly plan that's constantly evolving or you can spend more money and have one-to-ones is there a similar sort of sliding scale of tools and support to help on the self-awareness side yeah i think there's loads and loads of books out there isn't there so like you talked about the chimp paradox um there's my book you could always get that yeah <laughs> have to get that plug in we will um, we'll put links in the show so notes there's, to there's that, that as well. where you <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so there's there's books. Um, not everyone likes reading or that's not how they learn. There's lots of podcasts out there. Like there's endless there's endless resources, I think, that are available on like self-awareness. I think there's it's it's huge now. Like there's 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 loads and loads of stuff. Um so that's probably the quickest, cheapest way to do it. And then you could go and speak to a psychologist or a counsellor or um or even just someone you trust like a friend that you trust or a family member um yeah it doesn't have to be a professional mm-hmm. and would, so it would be a psychologist slash counselor that you would recommend if you're going 
on the higher spend end of that spectrum, that's the sort of professional you'd look for. Yeah. And what yeah. <laughs> what would you uh, what would you say to them when they ask what, what why you're there? Like, what, how would you introduce that? <laughs> Um, it, it, so it depends what what you go for. So if in an obvious route, if if it's performance related, sport related, you you could go to a sports psychologist, um, and that their remit isn't just sport; like it is wider than that. So a lot of sports psychologists now will talk about things going on in your life because we know that if you've got life stuff going on, it'll affect you on the bike. Um, or you could go to so yeah, so you go to a sports psychologist and say, um, I'm struggling with, I don't know, overcoming my fear of this or I just want to get better on race day. So you could go with a specific problem um, or you could just say, you don't have to have a problem. You could just say, I want to maximise my performance. I don't feel like I have a, an issue, but I want to make sure I'm I'm doing everything I can. Like in the gym, you want to make sure you're as strong as you can be. You might say, I want to practice visualizing or other mental skills um, so it doesn't have to be problem-based mm-hmm. um yeah okay and i guess you know we, we keep we say performance and i think everyone will naturally think about racing but this is this isn't you know understanding yourself isn't just going to help you be a better racer is it no no not at all like it, it's across it's across life it's across just enjoying going out riding um so yeah for, for me like i like going out the weekend and riding with my friends and I think if I'm fitter I'll enjoy it more so for me performance is going to the gym and doing my pilates because I know it'll help me when I'm out at the weekend it's not that I want to go and win a race it's just I want to feel like I'm you know I'm fit enough <coughs> excuse me fit enough to enjoy it yeah interesting so with with all of this that we've been talking about we're looking at understanding ourselves being open about who we are and then as a result of that i guess making some changes like rewiring our operating system in certain circumstances so our natural response might be x and we want to change it to y have you got any advice on um making changes like that and then also like embedding them as habits and you know crushing old habits and forming better new ones (laughs) yeah um Awareness and, and repetition, I think, is, is really important um, on, on habits. And I also think breaking things down to really small bits. So often, like, we'll, we'll want to change something or we'll want to do something and we set the target too big. So, and then we think, right, I can't go to the gym for an hour, so I, I, there's no point going. Whereas if we said, actually, like, doing a minute of squats is still better than doing no squats or doing five minutes of stretching is better than nothing. So breaking down that all or nothing thinking when we're trying to form new habits is, is really helpful. And um, just, just say one minute, that's brilliant. I'll do that. Um, and then sometimes linking it to other habits. So if you always have a coffee in the morning, then you could say, right, while I'm having my coffee, I'm going to do my reflection on my self-awareness writing or after my coffee, I'm going to do a few minutes of, of breathing. So that's one that I, I, a good one that I haven't mentioned. If you're feeling worried, stressed, anxious at a race or when you're about to do a feature, being able to practice and control and manage your breath is, is amazing. Um, it calms your whole system down. So there's something called the physiological sigh. So it's where you take 
two like smallish in-breaths, but the out-breath is really long. So when our out-breath is longer than our in-breath, it slows your heart rate, it slows your breathing. So even if like everything's around you just feels really overwhelming, you can just focus on your breath. And it's really simple. It's really quick. You could practice it when you're on a meeting at work. You could. It's just something an easy habit to get that if you if you feel overwhelmed or anxious that, that you could use. And is that uh, in through the nose, out through the mouth? Does it matter? Um, in in through the nose, out through the mouth is is the best way. You can do it in and out through the nose if you want to. But yeah, generally I would say in through your nose, long 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 exhale, out through your mouth. Yeah. And is that that is actually having a physiological effect on the body? It's not just a, a, a mental thing. Yeah. No, no, no. And you can you can test it. So you can take your heart rate and then you can do that maybe five, ten times um, and then test your heart rate afterwards. And it, it's it's the best, quickest, most effective way to to um, change your physiology. Interesting. Yeah. And we definitely uh, have a habit of holding our breath when we're, you know, scared of something like you come into a feature that you're nervous of and you stop breathing it's ridiculous it's actually really hard to be tight and stressed when you're breathing properly exactly yeah um last last weekend there was like this um event in sheffield it was like a a little um like hill climb that was right by sheffield station like up the cobbles and i thought right i'll i'll just go i'll do it on my mountain bike um and i just got all of those sensations again i got the adrenaline i got the and my my breathing, like I noticed it was really shallow. And I was like, right, you've got to focus on your breathing. And like it just reminded me of all the things we've been talking about. So I was like, yeah, you've just really got to like focus on slowing it all down because as soon as your brain goes, oh, there's a competition, there's a an outcome. Yeah. Definitely. And in general, then, how do you think the sport of mountain biking is doing in the way that it supports athletes from a mental health perspective? Because it feels like we are starting to see more openness on that. So I guess Katie's a good example. You know, she stepped away from racing yeah, last year because the, yeah. the place she was in wasn't the right place for her to be racing. And and we're starting to see just a little bit more of that coming out, which feels like a positive sign. But how do you think we're doing? Yeah, good. I think like people coming on your podcast and being open is really, really helpful. I think they're, they're you know often they're put on pedestals but they're just humans aren't they and they experience all the same emotions that we do and them talking about it role modeling it I think is amazing um so I think that's good I think there's much more awareness around concussion as well um which I talk about in the book um which I think is wasn't there a few years ago um so yeah I, I do think things are getting better I think hopefully teams as well professional teams are getting better at understanding and supporting riders and they i think they're realizing that if you just talk to riders about winning and pressure and all that kind of stuff it doesn't get the best out of them so i think the switched on teams are, are the ones that just think ah, oh, we've got to have happy athletes yeah what so what advice would you give to people from teams that are maybe listening to this so there's certain things you'd ask them to think about or to go and do because so, i think often like they they feel pressure as well so they've got bosses they've got sponsors that are putting pressure on them so like like do often do with like with staff like the staff the support team around the athletes they need to work on themselves as well they need to say i i get stressed about this i get worried about this i feel the pressure how am i going to manage that so i don't pass that on to the riders um so they've got to have that 
support and self-awareness as well because it it can be a tough place for them as well yeah do you, like, you know, often they, they they're not the ones like on the hill riding like they're watching and that's quite a tough place to be like you you know you've only can do so much and then you have to let the riders go but you can be um responsible for it as well yeah have you coached any team staff out of interest you don't have to name names but uh, yes yeah so that's often a lot of lot of my work um is is with the people that support the riders so yeah interesting what about in the more kind of grassroots side of things i'd imagine there might be some parents listening to this who have kids that are getting into racing and competing or even just getting into riding in general yeah. is there any yeah. advice you'd give to them it's it's that enjoyment piece i think and matt um matt talked about it as well um just keeping that like remembering why you got into the sport and if if it stops becoming fun and it becomes too serious then that's when people drop out so yeah you, you just want to keep it as fun just for you, ne- you never want to lose the fun basically and just remember why you're doing it and also trying to make it more than just about winning so um, there's loads of research in, in mental health that if we have um, like a meaning or purpose outside of ourselves then we're generally happier so if all we focus on in is ourself and winning and you know that that's it's understandable but it's not always helpful long term so I think um like Cy Payton talked about it on your podcast around helping out like digging trails or um picking up rubbish or um you could just help one of your teammates or one of your ride people that you ride with like making your life wider than just about you and your biking results is mm-hmm. super important. Yeah. It might yeah. seem a bit counterintuitive because you think, no, I've got to be obsessed and focused on me, but by widening your horizons a bit, it, it just will massively help your mental health. It will massively help your performance. It will give you perspective. You'll ride better. And that's been proven, right? There's plenty of evidence for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the people that really, not always, but that struggle with their mental health, they, they don't have a purpose or a meaning. Um, they don't have a why. They don't have anything to get out of bed for. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really important. And detaching your self-worth from just your results. So if you think, if I don't win this bike race, I am worthless as a person. The consequence of that is you, you can, you're going to maybe go to some dark places with that. Mm. Yeah. Which I guess if you're at the top end of a sport, it's very easy to get sucked into that, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, really, really hard because you're in a bubble. Like um, I went out to a race in February and like you, it's it's a mountain bike bubble and you have to kind of consciously think there's a, this is, there's a world outside of this because if you're, if you're on that circuit and you go race, 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 it's, it is hard. It's hard to get that perspective. Yeah. So... How would you summarize maybe then if you had to, to, you know, whittle this down to a few points, like what sort of things would you say people should be thinking about, be conscious of to help themselves, not just in racing, but in riding, in life and to just generally be happier humans? I think that self-awareness piece that you talked about is, is massive. Um, and just thinking, like what's what's important to me in life um and trying to make it not just not just about 
outcomes or results. So um, nurturing relationships and making sure that that you have good awareness and you're putting effort into your relationships, um, that you yeah that you find other meaning in life, that um, that you understand what makes you tick, like what you need, what what helps you, what doesn't help you, and that you learn some some skills around. Um, managing your mind so you you can understand what your brain sees as a threat and then you can say well what can I do to either reassure it or to, to switch it to being a challenge um yeah that I don't know if that's probably that's quite a few points there but um yeah they're, they're probably I would say the main things all right good stuff well, we should uh we should start wrapping up we've got our final four questions that no doubt you will have heard before because you clearly listen to a fair few I episodes have, yes. of the podcast <laughs> the first one of those if our listeners had 150 pounds to spend to improve their performance on a bike other than your book what should they go and spend it on <laughs> uh, i'm a big fan of of coaching i think um I think it, 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 it will help um, reassure your brain and it helps um, make sure that you've got helpful things in the computer, in your automatic part. So the more you can trust that you know what to do when you come to a feature or when you come to a certain thing um, and that you can practice that, I think, yeah, so coaching, I would spend my money on. Okay. How far would £150 get you in like the sports psychology world? I'm not sure of the cost of that sort of stuff. Uh... <laughs> it depends on on the person but you probably get you might get a couple of sessions for that okay which would be enough to start digging into like who you are and finding out a bit about yourself i guess yeah okay cool all right next one if you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16 what advice would you give her i would say um worry less so i was uh, yeah my um threat part of the brain would like to see lots of threats and things so I'd probably, I'd like to know the stuff I know now when I was 16. I didn't know any of this stuff. So I'd like to know it's normal. It's your brain trying to protect you. Um, There's ways you can manage it. That's what I would like to know. I would have saved quite a lot of unnecessary worrying over the years, I'd say. Yeah. How would you rate yourself on that now then? How are you managing to deal with that? Like out of 10, because it feels like these things are a never ending journey, right? You're never perfect. Oh yeah. Never ending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it it can vary, vary, but I'd say I don't know eight or nine most of the time. But yeah, it take I have to keep working at it. It's like going to the gym, isn't it? You can't go, oh, I'm fit now. <laughs> like you have to keep working at it. Um, sadly, <laughs> was there any one sort of technique or thing that you found really helped you get from where you were to where you are now on that, or was it just time? Um, time, I think, but also that perspective and just um, reassuring myself of like, I've done the best that I can. So I used to think, oh, I could have done more. I should have done this or, or what if this, um, but now I'm a bit better at saying, right, I've, I feel like I've done the best I can in this situation and um, being happy with that. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's true for, for most people being able to say, yeah, I, I, did, I did my best. Uh, you know, it maybe wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be, but I, I did. I gave it everything and I, I did my best. Yeah. Cool. All right. Third one. If you could have a coaching session from everyone, from anyone, sorry, past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bike person or you could have a bike and a non-bike up to you. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've, um, I was thinking about who I've already had coaching from. So, like, Phil, I've been on a few rides with Phil, and that's brilliant because he's a great coach. Um, a few years ago, I went to visit a friend in um, Squamish, and I did, like, this women's course. And so I got coached from Katrina Strand. She's nice. amazing. Um, Katie Curd. So I've had, had really lucky to have been coached by those people. Um, so that's brilliant. So, But from a non-biking perspective um there's a lady called Pippa Grange she's a psychologist who worked with um England football and she did a lot of stuff around culture with them so I'd like to be coached by her because I think she's great yeah good answer they've certainly performed pretty well recently so she must be doing well (laughs) all right last one what do you do every day that you feel benefits you Oh, this is this is um a good one because I think there's some things I do regularly but not every day but probably the thing that's made the biggest difference to me is um got a dog about two years ago so he was a lockdown dog and walking the dog I find really really helpful like it's I can reflect I can be out in nature um I'm walking so I'm getting a bit of exercise um just yeah just love walking the dog and then I think linked to that is that perspective like I keep bringing myself back to like what I've got to be grateful for or you know is this thing actually really that bad and just trying to get stuff in perspective so I find walking really helps me get stuff in perspective yeah are there ever days where you regret it when yeah, the weather's particularly really... bad <laughs> um you maybe do at the time but then actually because the, the dog's having such a great time is it like they have they love it they don't care so then you like that makes me feel happy because they're having a great time and yeah he's always happy um, and then, yeah, I just remind myself, like, I'm really grateful that I get to work with some amazing people. Like, that, you know, I just think I get to work with really, really great people that are doing stuff they love and I love it as well. So, yeah, I'm really lucky. Very nice. It's a good place to to wrap it up. Um, it's been super interesting chatting. There's so much to this topic. Um, we've kind of scratched the surface, but hopefully it gives people some things it. to think about. Yeah. If people want to find out more, um, obviously there's the book, but yeah, where, where can they find the book? Yeah. And is there anywhere else you would recommend they look? So yeah, book is on Amazon, um, the usual places. Um, I've got a Instagram, Sarah B psych. Um, not so great. That's why I wrote a book because I find it hard to like summarize things into uh, Instagram posts. I thought, Oh, I'll write a book. Um, so yeah, but I am on Instagram, um, as well. Um, out of interest, how was the process of writing a book? Uh, generally I enjoyed it I got to interview lots of interesting people so that was my favorite bit um and then I actually really did mostly enjoy it there were some days where you think um I don't know where to start with this but that's a good example of you just got to stick to a process and um you've got to like just break it down and some days it is commitment some days you're just like oh I don't want to do this but (laughs) you just do it good stuff all right well (laughs) but generally I really did enjoy it Great. It is a really interesting read. There's lots of good stuff in there. If people want to check it out, I'll stick links in the show notes for the episode on the website so people can find that. But yeah, thanks for your time, Sarah. Really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to seeing how things get on for all of your athletes over the coming race season. Yeah, it's exciting. We're getting going soon. Yeah, it's good. Good stuff. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Take care. All right. That's it for this episode with Sarah. I really hope you've enjoyed it. 
A massive thanks to Kotick for supporting this episode. If you want to build your dream bike, then check out Kotick's UK-made 160mm travel enduro bike, the Rocket Max. It's an insanely capable bike that breeds confidence at speed but retains a fun personality on the trails. Kotick have got multiple build options and the ability to customise those too. With factory collection now available at their new HQ in Chesterfield, you can even get one of the team to help you set up your bike. Add to that regular owners' rides and events and a company ethos that strives to operate in a low-impact way when it comes to the environment and gives back a big chunk of their time and profit to the riding community. If that all sounds like your dream, then you can check them out over at kotick.co.uk. That's kotick spelled C-O-T-I-C. Also, a massive thanks to Magura. Their MT7 Pro is my go-to brake and also the choice of world downhill champion Loic Bruni. If you're looking for the best brake out there that's customisable to you on ergonomics, aesthetics and performance, then look no further and check out the MT7 Pro over at Magura.com. Don't forget, if you want to be in with a chance of winning one of three pairs of Magura MT7 Pros, then you need to fill out my 2023 listener survey by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey before the 8th of June. Also, don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, then the best way to do that is now by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a regular donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I know times are tough for a lot of people at the moment, so if that doesn't work for you, then no worries. But if you are able to support, then it is much appreciated. Other ways to support the podcast are by telling your friends about the show, sharing the podcast on your social media, or you can join that Patreon at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast or grab yourself some merch at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. You can also help us out by leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>